And she asked the question for her sons to be put on thrones to Jesus' right and left. You read verses 20 and 21. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Boy, that was a major ask. But it wasn't really just her asking. These sons are also asking and they want to be included. Now, I want you to visualize this now. They go on toward Jerusalem. In fact, they stop uh, in the city of Jericho and they make their way through Bethphage to Bethany and then ultimately on to Jerusalem. Now, notice with me Luke chapter 22, verses 21 through 24. Jesus says, Behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Listen to verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Now here you have Jesus and really go back to Matthew 20 verse 17. He's going to show them we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to be betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles. They're going to mock me. They're going to betray me. And he said, now, I want you to know. And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Arguing about which one of them is going to sit on the Lord's right and left hand. Now you're at the supper. The one in the upper room where the Lord tells them that he is going to die. And what are they doing? Well, who's going to betray the Lord? We know it's Judas. But you know what the other 11 were doing? They're arguing about which one of us are going to be the greatest in the Lord's kingdom. What was the Lord trying to teach them? When they were on that road going toward Jerusalem, he was trying to teach them, you need to be a servant. When they get there in that upper room, you know what John 13, the Lord does? washes their feet he's trying to teach them to be a servant now I know that some of the classes are studying this program of Bible study called One Word and I tried to think several months ago about some of these things and I thought how can I talk about being a servant in one word and I thought I can't it's got to be three words and the words are Submission, sacrifice, and then service. Let's talk about those three because all three of those are contained in these passages. And as you begin with the idea of submission, I want to go back and reflect on a couple of those verses that were read just a few moments ago. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. You understand what the Lord is talking about? 
Worldly people like to be up here. They like to be the ones in control. They don't want to be the ones in submission. They're the one to be the ones calling the shots. See, Jesus spoke of the rulers of the Gentiles and their desire to be in charge. I'd ask you the question, you think it's the same today? You think everybody wants to be in charge? Because evidently the apostles had the same desire of heart. I've already shown you that it happened on the road. It already happened there. And they've still got this attitude in their minds and in their hearts. You see, I I left one more. Before they ever left Galilee, while the Lord was continuing in this last part of his Galilean ministry, in Mark chapter 9, they come to the city of Capernaum. And we read in verses 33 through verse 37, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What is it, or what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and he set them in their midst. And when he had taken him into his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. Now, I want you to notice, that's the third occasion where they're arguing. And I would suppose that wasn't the only three occasions where they're arguing among themselves about which of them is the greatest. But don't you notice what the Lord does? He brings a little child. The Lord often would take children and use them as object lessons. In fact, I even thought about bringing some of the little kids up here and... and you know, putting them in front of you so you could see. A little child is one who's subject to everybody else telling him what to do and how to do it and how to live. And the Lord said, that's the way you need to be. You need to be the servant of all. Submission is a part of service. It's looking and saying, everybody else is beyond me. And you see, in our society today, it's no different. Would you rather be the employee or would you rather be the boss? Who does not esteem the CEO, but what about the janitor who cleans the floor and who cleans the bathrooms? You know, in our mindset, we tend to think the guy at the top is the one who's the best. And the one down here who's doing all the lowly tasks, he's the lowest. And the Lord said, we've got it all wrong. We've missed it. The heart of a servant is one that submits to the needs, the wishes, and the desires of others. And you see, the church hadn't escaped that attitude. When John was writing, and I think it's interesting, John was writing. The same John who wanted the position of being the right and left hand of the Lord, this same John speaks about a man by the name of Diotrephes. He said, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. 
Oh yeah, you have people who are like Diotrephes who want to have the preeminence. It happened in the first century among the apostles. It happened in the first century among those who followed the apostles. And guess what? It will happen in the 21st century. And if the Lord lets this world continue, what will happen in the 25th century? Among God's people, there are always going to be people who want to say, I want to be the one in charge. I don't want to be the one who has to do all the work. I don't want to have to be the one who submits. And even Peter warns those who would serve as overseers. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look at it as I need to submit to you. I need to be a servant to you. And so one of the great words of the heart of a servant is that of submission. The second word is that of sacrifice. Giving up something. Look at verse 28 of this context. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom for many. See, an element of the heart of a servant is sacrifice. Not only to submit to somebody else, but to sacrifice something from for them. And Jesus illustrated this well in the sense that he gave up something for the benefit of others. He gave his life. He said, as a ransom for many, I want to do something so that I benefit a number of people, is the way Jesus thought of it. Too many of us are focused on what we get rather than what we give. And you see, that's what the apostles, as they're arguing among themselves, they're thinking, what position am I going to get? How are people going to serve me? Rather than what can I do to sacrifice and help and assist others? There's a classic passage that addresses this, and Paul gives it in Rome, or Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, going through verse 8. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. When you think about Jesus and his sacrifice, what did he give up? He gave up his glory. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You know, you think most of us, we enjoy so many of the creature comforts of this life. We enjoy light. It's cold outside, but it's warm in here. We're people who are able to, uh, as was in the prayer mentioned earlier, that to be able to have our food to eat and our clothes to wear and all these wonderful blessings that we enjoy. Think about what Jesus gave up. He come and he didn't have a place to lay his head. He came and he was beaten and spat upon and mistreated. And, oh, he gave a sacrifice. But he also sacrificed his dignity. 
He is the Lord. He is the master. Listen to John chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. He rose from the supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Now, I want you to imagine each of us getting down on our knees and taking the feet of someone whose feet was dirty with uh, with the dust of the field and and you wash those feet, you clean them for everybody that's among you. Oh, that's a lowly job. But you see, Jesus was willing to sacrifice his dignity. And Jesus expects us to be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to serve others as well. Listen as he goes on in John 13, beginning with verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If the, I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He's saying you've got to be willing to sacrifice yourself, abase yourself, put yourself down there, give up some of your dignity, give up some of your will to have the heart of a servant. Third word is service. I want to go back to that passage in Luke chapter 22 and look at verses 26 and 27. He said, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. Notice Jesus is talking about service that is being rendered. And one who serves renders a service. He does something. If I'm going to have the heart of a servant, I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say, what do I need to do? What service do I need to render for the God's people? But you see, one thing that you learn is that even those who are in positions of authority can be servants. Oh, I wish that those people who serve us in Washington knew that that's what their role was, to be public servants. I want you to use with me an Old Testament passage from 1 Samuel, or 1 Kings, chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. When you turn there, I know you're immediately going to uh, recognize the passage <laughs> What has happened, Solomon has died and his son Rehoboam has ascended to be the next king over Israel. And there's a concern about how he will rule his people, what kind of a leader he will be. And it says, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before Solomon, his father Solomon, while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you will be 
a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. You think about the advice that those wise elders provided to young Rehoboam. What you need to do, Rehoboam, yes, you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the king. But what you need to do is tell the people you're here to serve them rather than them serving you. And he said, if you do, they will serve you. They'll serve you forever. Of course, you know he rejected that advice, took his advice to the young man who said, just make their burdens harder. Sometimes rulers think that the way that you get people to serve you is you whip them in line. As you make them understand, you've got a firm grip on them. And he said, no. Real servants serve. And that's the reason why in 1 Peter 5, verse 3, Peter would say to those overseers, he says, nor is being lords of those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. You want them to follow you and be servants? You serve and show them how to serve. You be an example to the flock. I'd like for you to think with me a little bit because sometimes our lessons can be, you know, theoretical. They can deal with the passages. But we don't ask the question, how does this really apply in some of the areas of life? And so I'm just gathering together several things that might be done to show that we can serve others. Assisting widows or elderly in tasks that they are no longer able to do. One thing that will become certain after you get a certain age, you realize there's things that you're no longer able to do that you once were. There may be, for instance, was a time when you were a young man, you just shimmy up a ladder and uh, hang from the roof. You get a little bit older and your equilibrium's not as good and you start going up the ladder and you get to about the second step and you say, I don't think I need to do this anymore. You get to four-fifth step and say, I'm scared now, I'm coming down. You realize there's some people who need things done and uh, we can be a servant to those people. Providing a meal for a family in need. I didn't mention his name for several years, but I have mentioned it several times. But since he's passed away and his wife has passed away, uh, I feel comfortable mentioning it now. Several years ago, Brother Chuck Connor, who was a member of the Centertown congregation, would call me every year and he would say, Tony, we want to provide a full meal for some needy family during the Thanksgiving holidays. He said, we'll cook it all, we'll bring it to you, and, but we want you to have it set up to deliver it to somebody who really needs it. And he says, we'll, it'll all be in paper plates, plastic, so they don't have to return anything. And they would cook a turkey, they'd cook dressing, they'd cook green beans, sweet potato casserole, I mean a big meal, and take it to a needy family. One of the reasons why he chose us was because he said, that way nobody will know where it comes from. He said, I want the Lord to get the credit. That was service. That was, it was doing something good. Giving a young mother a night out. Sometimes those of us who get a little bit older don't realize the burden of, of having 
24-hour-a-day responsibilities. And maybe to say to a young family who might not be able to afford to pay a babysitter, well, we'll keep your child for a few hours. Giving a caregiver a few hours away. Many of you may not realize the stress that somebody who is providing loving care for a mother or father or maybe even a spouse and the difficulty and the stress that they go through seeing that suffering and to be able to say, why don't you let me come over and stay for an hour or two, let you, you know, go get your hair done, go shopping, take some time for yourself just to relieve the stress. Helping a sick or injured person with some of their chores. Somebody who's had surgery may not be able to pick up something. They may not even be able to carry out the garbage. Somebody who is sick may need someone to um, feed their animals for them. To offer to do something. Checking on the lonely and the depressed. Sometimes elderly people, particularly this time of year, can't get out. They may not be sick, but they, they don't have the ability to get out in bad weather unless they get pneumonia or something. And they've missed for two or three weeks. And it's not because they don't want to be here. They absolutely do. Maybe they're in a nursing home. Maybe they're in an assisted living facility. And they just need somebody to call them up and say, Hey, I, I just want to know we're thinking about you today. Taking some time to visit a nursing home to offer some cheer, some good words of encouragement. See, there's any number of tasks that you can do that will have little to no glory or appreciation. But you see, after all, that's what the Lord taught us to do. In fact, he, he said, you know, you don't go out and you don't sound the trumpet so you can give your alms to be seen to men. He said, if you do, you've received your reward. We ought to be the kind of people who have the heart of a servant that says, I want to serve you. And you see, God has called us to this kind of lifestyle to put the needs of others ahead of our own. We just finished studying the book of Galatians, or just about on Wednesday evenings. In Galatians 5 and verse 13, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And that's having the right kind of heart. Because you see, if my heart is the heart of a servant, everything else is going to follow because we're told to keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. You can become a servant of God tonight. We're going to sing the invitation song. It is Jesus the loving shepherd. He's calling you home you need to become a Christian tonight because you believe in God, willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized, we will assist you in that tonight. If you need to be restored to faithfulness, why not come as together we stand and sing?